Hey! Be quiet! This is fun! Alright, let's hear your song. Presenting! <laughs> Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host, Charlie McCarran, a composer in Minneapolis. And on this episode, we'll hear from by far the youngest composers we've had on the show. I talk with Maya Heyman, who teaches composition to these young kids. She explains her methods for getting these kids started writing music. I think it's important when exposing kids to composition to show them just element by element. It's very overwhelming to just be given free reign, do whatever you want. Like with a coloring book, you have the outline to work with, but you get to make certain decisions about different elements of your artwork. Maya studied bassoon performance, and her original plan was to become a college professor. But somewhere along the way, she realized that her true passion is teaching elementary music. It's easy to get burned out in such a serious, competitive orchestral world, and these kids they're so creative, they have so much fun with music. It really reminds me of what I like about music. Maya also shares some tips on writing for bassoon, and she points out how the bassoon has many characters that composers can use. If you listen to the Simpsons soundtrack, it's opposite of what you normally hear in cartoons. The bassoon solos come out only for the serious moments, not for the funny moments. We also get to hear about Maya's experience in a Somali oud class, which is like a Somalian guitar. She talks about how it's a very different musical culture. Our instructor spent a considerable amount of time lecturing on how it was okay to learn music. It was okay to be in this class. It's okay to enjoy music. In addition to being an ethnomusicologist, a bassoonist, and a teacher, Maya's also my girlfriend. So it was a fun talk for me. To hear more Composer Quest episodes and to learn more about these artists I interview, you can go to composerquest.com. So on to my talk with Maya Heyman. I'm here with Maya Heyman, K through three teacher, bassoonist extraordinaire. Maya, welcome to Composer Quest. Thank you. Maya, you teach composition to your students, which is a little bit out of the ordinary for that age group. Third graders usually? Third and second. How do they react to that? They take to it very naturally. They really like to do anything that allows them to express themselves creatively, it seems. As long as they have some kind of structure to work within, they don't seem to have any troubles doing it. I think it's important when exposing kids to composition to show them just element by element. It's very overwhelming to just be given free reign, do whatever you want. So we talk a lot about the tools of composition. You've got pitch, rhythm, dynamics, articulation, words. There are all these different things, just do one at a time. I have had students write rhythms, and I'll give them specific rhythms they can use, like only quarter notes, half notes, and couplets of two eighth notes. And then after they've done that successfully, I give them certain pitches that they can use, and then they just assign a pitch to each of their notes, and then they have a song. I had my third graders write what they like about school, and then 
you know, we put rhythms and pitches to those words. What kind of things do they love about their school? Uh, mostly recess and gym. <laughs> music class? None of them mentioned music class. What? Ah. So have you had any composition training yourself? Very little. The closest I've ever come to formal composition training was a 16th century counterpoint class. And of course, counterpoint, especially 16th century counterpoint, is so structured and there's so many rules. There are certain intervals that you can't use and there, you, know, you can't use parallel intervals. And I think that does affect somewhat the way that I teach composition because there's something almost liberating about having those rules to work within and having it broken down in that way made it much less scary for me to try composing. And that seems to work with my students. Of course, I don't teach them to compose in 16th century counterpoint, but that idea of having rules to work within is very effective. the dynamics how did you come up with the dynamics um, I tried playing it with piano and mezzo forte hmm. and then I tried forte and it sounded good yeah that contrast makes it more exciting like I was thinking of like the surprise symphony uh, where it got louder and quiet and loud oh. like with a coloring book you have the outline to work with but you get to make certain decisions about different elements of your artwork. Like, are you going to use colored pencils or markers or crayons? What colors are you going to use? So it's, I think it's the same sort of idea as composing within set guidelines. You, know, you have certain limits, but you still have choices to make within those limits. You know, we have such easy access to music now, and we hear the finished product all the time. You know, it's hard to realize that those are separate elements combined and both in composing and performing you really need to be able to separate those elements and understand what you're doing with each one this is charlie and he is a composer what does a composer do yeah they write music we're gonna try writing our own music yeah but you didn't think you could do that as a kindergartner I got to visit Maya's class as a guest composer, and we did a little bit of an experiment with the kids where we had them write a class composition. When you come up, you'll play one note, any note you want, and I'll write it up there. And from that, we're going to make a song. I'll start the composition. So I play C. So who wants to do the next? And you can play any note you want. <laughs> All right, G. Good G. You know, meeting a real composer was really cool for them to see that you're a normal guy, and it's not something that needs to be put on a pedestal. It's a really cool thing to do, but it's not as limited to certain people. Hey, what's it gonna be? Our last note. Make it a good one. E. E. Nice choice. Yeah. Do you like doing this? Yeah! Do it again then. 
They loved hearing that back. They it's, did. They were really excited. They were very proud of themselves for creating something. Mm-hmm. There's at least one kid in every class that yelled out at the end, Whoa, that was really good! Yeah. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's a nice... Remember when we were talking about it, composition being kind of like a story? See how the notes go up and down in kind of a mountain and a valley? It would have been really cool if everyone just did the top one every time. Right, you no. need something to change for music to be interesting. Often it's the pitches. You change the pitches, because if I just played... Pretty boring. But I could play the same thing if I changed the rhythm. That's more interesting, right? Or I could change how loud or soft it is. That makes it more interesting. I'm not really sure why composition is not taught to young kids. If you think about it, music notation, that system is considerably simpler than the system for writing English. It's much more straightforward. There aren't exceptions like they are in language. So I don't see any reason why kids shouldn't be learning to write music at the same time that they're learning to read it, just yeah. like they do in their reading classes. Music programs are being cut all the time now. But if music teachers can prove that what they're doing is helping literacy, schools are going to be more likely to keep those programs and fund those programs. And of course, there's all kinds of research showing that learning music and having music literacy helps with all kinds of literacy because of the way music is stored in the brain. It's not just in one place. It's all over the brain. Language is more you know, in a specific physical location in the brain, which is why, you know, when people have strokes, often they'll lose language abilities because if the stroke affects that specific area, that's gone. More Music, so men, right? Yes, we more were so talking with about men. That. Men tend to store everything in their brains in more specific physical locations. But music is stored all over the place. So, you know, there might be a little bit of music in your language area and a little in your math area and... So the more music kids learn, the more connections they make between the hemispheres in their brain, the more they're able to connect other subjects that they're learning at the same time. Hmm. Uh, everything connects huh. more easily with music. When I got to visit your school, part of the reason was because I helped with the musical that was going on. Your mom wrote the script, and I wrote four original songs for the kids to sing. And I hadn't really written music for kids specifically before, but what would you say to me if I was going to write another musical? What did you notice that the kids liked about those songs, or maybe was too hard for them? Or Well, I thought it was really interesting to see how the kids reacted to this musical. Compared to other children's musicals that I've looked at, this was considerably more complicated, but the kids had no more difficulty with these songs than any others. I think the primary thing for kids is that it's catchy. You know, they're memorizing these tunes, so if they're catchy, that's when they're going to go home and sing them to their parents and practice them. And Also, you asked you know, what elements they liked about these songs. I think they really enjoyed when it had some kind of mood to play to. You wrote one song that was about 
a blizzard and the snow falling outside and worries over being trapped in the school during Christmas break. And the kids who sang that song were so proud of themselves for singing in a certain style. You know, they wanted to sing gently so it sounded like the snow falling outside. That's, yeah, oh, that's good to think about because mostly the mood was, other than that song, just kind of happy. But maybe there's other specific moods I should have tried for or could in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, kids really enjoy the typical kid song that's all upbeat and happy topic. But I think adults often underestimate kids' abilities and their understanding, too. They really took to that deeper subject of that song, and it wasn't in major, it wasn't fast. It was kind of the opposite of how you imagine most kids' music, and that was the one that they worked the hardest at and put the most of themselves into. Hmm. That was really neat to see. Hmm. So in the future, I'm going to write all sad, depressing music for kids. (laughs) There you go. Good. When they're that young, it seems like their brains are like sponges. They really are. I think as adults, we assume that they have the same background and bias about what music should sound like, but they don't. They're open to any type of music. Music from different cultures doesn't sound weird to them as it does for adults. Modern and atonal things they can get much more easily than a lot of adults I think just because we have so many years of understanding music as only being the western harmonies that we're used to mm-hmm. well we were joking about writing atonal music for these kids to sing because they could probably handle it weirdly yeah, I think it would take a little a little bit of work because you know they are used to hearing what's on the radio but they aren't as biased as most adults are, I think. Did you see yourself being a music teacher? Absolutely not. <laughs> well, I, my original plan when I was in college and grad school was to be a college professor. But I really had no interest in teaching anybody younger than that. But after years and years of grad school and kind of being in the professional classical performer world... Uh, this is just great. It's so refreshing the way these kids approach music and so inspirational to me. It's easy to get burned out in such a serious, competitive orchestral world. And these kids, they're so creative. They have so much fun with music. It really reminds me of what I like about music, why music is important. Yeah, I think it'd be good for more composers to go around to elementary schools and oh absolutely the ideas they come up with are so fresh you know we are so used to these patterns that we hear in our music you know pop music is all about these patterns and these ways of doing things these you know certain chord patterns certain melodic ideas 
and kids come up with the strangest and most wonderfully expressive things in their music. Well, we might have to have some of your students' compositions in this show. Oh, they would love that. Yeah. like your dynamic choices. So how did you decide to write it this way? I haven't had anybody else do it in minor like that, but I like um, that you did. I started um, playing some chords, and then I like the minor one. Yeah, I like minor too. How about the last chord? What made you decide to do a major instead of a minor? Because it, um, it, it kind of sounded sadder and then at the end it sounded like something good happened. Yeah. Well, when you're teaching composition to kids, what do you notice they think about when they compose? Stories. They love to compose to stories. Like one student that I had compose recently was writing a song about a spider monkey. That was the title of his song. And then when he played it for me, he explained you know, this is when the spider monkey jumps from tree to tree, and here the spider monkey is climbing. Hmm. Well, that makes total sense with kids, too. I mean, mm -hmm. I was just thinking back to the drawing thing, too. They need to have something to draw as a story. Right. Versus, like, composers my age and older, sometimes, and I do this, too, I get caught up in the technique of, like, oh, this chord would be good here, this chord would be good here, but sometimes lose the overall idea of what mm -hmm. the... What's the story? Why are people going to want to stay interested in this? Yeah. So what have you learned from these students? Oh, I learn new things from them all the time. But specifically with composition, uh, yesterday I was teaching a bassoon lesson to a 16-year-old student, and I, I can't remember how it came up, but we got to talking about composition, and I said something about how... If I knew how to compose better, I would do this certain project I've been thinking about. And she said, well, why can't you? Don't you just write it down? And that really is a great example of how kids look at composition compared to how adults do. I think it's important that kids start composing early because they have that kind of confidence and that wonder at anything they've created. I wish that I had had that because I'm not much of a composer because I'm scared to. I, I'm so used to hearing good music that anything I compose sounds really bad and kids don't have that perspective. That reminds me of an Ira Glass saying about how a lot of people give up on filmmaking or writing or writing music before they pass the point of liking their own stuff. People who are creating probably have high standards for what they listen to or read or watch. And Ira Glass was just saying that you have to keep going because eventually you will make stuff that you enjoy yourself. But that's right. one of the reasons people give up on it so easily. 
I've seen that quote too, and that is so true. And if you look at anything that kids create, you know, they've seen art, and yet they'll do a drawing and be so proud of it, even though it looks nothing like what's you know, hanging on their walls at home. And they're writing. The, you know, they've read books, but they're proud of their own writing too, because they know that they're in this process. As adults, I think we you know, assume we should be at a level of competence in everything. And so it's harder to go through that exploration phase and being proud of that work. So how do we solve that as adults? Hide our stuff for a while until we, I don't know. I don't know. That's something I struggle with, too. I, with my bassoon student, you know, it's, I have this idea to compose something, and I'm scared to do it because I know I'm not competent in that and I'm afraid what I do won't be good, so I'm afraid to try. I was not exposed to composition as a kid at all. And so at this point, you know, I see it as kind of the way our culture makes us see it. It's something that you go and learn as an adult and you become a specialist. And it's this thing that is up on a pedestal that not everybody can do. You have to be a special, talented person. And, you know, it's... You know, like I said earlier, it's no different than learning to write English. And the student really pointed that out very clearly to me. That was your best yet. So how did you come up with this? I was like... continue and I'll go like yeah on the subject of tips for composers what kind of music do you like to play as a bassoonist or pianist hmm uh and most of what I play is Romantic period and earlier. There's not much 20th century and later music that I really enjoy playing, I guess. Why is that? <laughs> uh, well, I talk to my students a lot about how there are typically three main players in creating music. There's the performer, the composer, and the audience. And you need all three for it to be real music. You know, if you're just playing alone in your room, you know, you need an audience to communicate your music to for it to really be effective. Um, and if you're a composer just writing for yourself, that's not going to go very far either. So I think maybe some of that has been lost in more recent composition because, you know, you look at Baroque bassoon music and it's so fun to play. And the stuff I've seen written more recently is typically very difficult and not that enjoyable to play or listen to. Of course, there are exceptions. There's some really fantastic 
music that's been written more recently. But typically, I don't get very excited about yeah. well, playing that. It sounds like when we were talking about it earlier that you especially notice in orchestral works that you're kind of just a small cog in the machine that's right. creating a an experience for the listener. Mm-hmm. But they maybe and I mean, forgot. That's, all orchestral music has some degree of that. I mean, of course, because it's a bunch of mm-hmm. individual players making a new bigger whole but I wonder if it has to do with the way composers compose now I have the feel that recently composed music is more vertical like the composer is composing on a computer and is composing chords and harmonies rather than melodic lines yeah I've heard of that as the distinction being that classical music is horizontal melody Hmm. focus versus pop music being vertical like you're playing chords yeah along with one person who gets the melody which is the singer usually Hmm. and then a guitar solo takes over or something but yeah yeah pop music more so is about chords and so maybe it's the pop music influence could be more modern times yeah but i i do think that composers need to consider the melodic lines more because classical performers anyway like orchestral performers are just not that interested in playing modern music hmm yeah what would you say as far as bassoon goes do you have any specific tips for writing for a bassoon um find a bassoonist and talk to them bassoon is a very complicated instrument and it's hard to lay down specific rules for composing to it because every fingering is different, every interval is different. Um, so get to know a bassoonist and have them try it out and tell you what to do. <laughs> I did learn a lot just um, having you record one of my pieces, hmm. uh, that mini opera. I didn't realize that a bassoon has more thumb keys than a flute has keys. Yeah. Yep. 23 keys total and 13 of them for are for the two thumbs. Wow. If only you were like a koala. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Double thumb. Yeah. Hmm. That'd be handy. <laughs> I think also getting to know the characters of the bassoon is something that more composers should do because there are a lot of different characters and it's not very common for them to be used to their full potential, I think. And maybe every instrument feels this way, but... We were talking a lot about the bassoon sonatas and there's a couple modern ones that you pointed out have really good representation of all the bassoon character. They're, uh... Right. Yeah, the Saint-Saëns sonata is especially good i think the two characters that are usually talked about with the bassoon are the clown and the gentleman and saisons uses both of those characters very effectively without making the bassoon sound ridiculous which it often is made to sound like also the etler sonata and 
polyhandomous bassoon sonata are very good examples of using the expressive qualities of the bassoon very well. Bassoon is also used very well in a lot of soundtracks, I think. I do notice you pointing out the bassoon anytime you you can hear it (laughs) in a soundtrack. Stereotypically, the bassoon comes out when somebody is drunk or trips on something or, you know, is just a silly character. But I've been noticing it used more and more for expressing something more serious. If you listen to the Simpsons soundtrack, it's opposite of what you normally hear in cartoons. You'll notice the bassoon solos come out only for the serious moments, not for the funny moments. Huh. Cool. (laughs) Well, you've taken a lot of musicology classes, too, in college. Mm -hmm. In grad school. In grad school. Yeah, that was my secondary emphasis. What kind of stuff have you learned about other cultures? I know you were in a Somali guitar class, or oud class, I should say. Right. I did some research on the Somali diaspora in the Twin Cities, and I was a participant in a Somali oud class where most people were learning on guitars. And that was a really fascinating experience for me and totally different from any of my learning experience within music. All of the participants were Somali except for me and my fellow researcher, and classes were three hours long and taught entirely in Somali language. Oh, I didn't realize that. (laughs) Yeah, so I kind of befriended a guy that I sat next to, and he would help me by translating the parts of the lecture that were important (laughs) that he thought I needed to know, and I would help him with the music because... That was the language that I understood. Um, So it was a good exchange we had going on. Did you learn by written music? No, almost entirely just by rote, you know, listening and trying to repeat it back. So it was a very slow process. I can't remember how long the class lasted, but it was at least a couple months, maybe three months. And we learned one song in that time. How did that song compare to Western music? Uh, It was not that different. I mean, it was a catchy tune to me. And the song that we learn, Sida Hogoshoruka, it's considered classical music in Somalia, uh, but it was written in the early 20th century, like maybe the 1930s. Uh, The lyrics of the songs are, and their stories, are just so rich in these deep metaphors. Uh, the song that I learned in my class, Cedar Hagosha the title translates to something like um, like a rainstorm. It's a metaphor about a woman. In Somalia, there are areas of the country that are very arid and dry, and rain is a wonderful thing. And so this song is about this rainstorm and the peace and refreshing refreshment that it brings. And so it's comparing this to a woman who brings the same feelings. So on the first day of class, our instructor spent a considerable amount of time lecturing on how it was okay to learn music. It was okay to be in this class. It's okay to enjoy music. Because in Islam, music is viewed in a very different way than in our culture. And traditionally, 
has been considered something that's not very moral. It's not very moral to spend your time enjoying music, I guess. But it was interesting that we needed this pep talk at the beginning of our class, even though we'd all signed up for this. And that goes along with how we had some difficulties interviewing people. Some people didn't want to talk about it at all, that they were playing music or involved in this. Those that we did interview wanted to be anonymous. Uh, So it's a very different view than what our culture typically has. The Quran, the way it's recited, sounds like music to us. It has a sort of a melody. It sounds like it's sung. But to a Muslim person, that is not music. And I think for many it would be considered offensive to call that music because music is this thing that's kind of amoral. Um, and the Quran is it's so holy. So I... I think that was one of the most interesting things about studying this culture is realizing that music is defined very differently in different cultures. What music is can be totally different. Anything else you'd want to say about (laughs) the world of music? Uh, How long is this podcast? I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think that about wraps it up. Well, thanks for being here, Maya. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, that's the show. You can check out Maya's blog about teaching at mayable.wordpress.com. M-A-I-A-B-L-E dot wordpress.com. I'll leave you with this bassoon sonata that composer Joe Sackstetter wrote for Maya called Evil Adventures. <laughs>